This is the On The Line Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the On The Line Podcast. Here again with Noah. How you doing? Doing good, man. Had a great late-breaking story here with Cam Newton, so I'm excited to get going with that. It's going to be a good show. Unreal story right here. We're going to go over the agenda right now. Let's get, let's get that out of the way. We're going to start off with the Cam Newton news, obviously. Then we're going to go into the In the News segment where we're going to talk about the NHL draft, the MLB agreement, and we're going to go over some NASCAR, some NASCAR results and Bubba Wallace news. And then we're going to take a commercial break, and we're going to do the second half of the show. We're going to do the best value team. So Noah and I put together a team with the best value, so essentially players that we could get the best players at each position for the cheapest cost. And we're going to compare that to a team with the best players and the most expensive contracts. So we're going to do that for the second half of the show. But you know what? Let's get started right here with the Cam Newton news. I feel like I need an air horn or something because this is just, this is unbelievable. Cam Newton is joining the New England Patriots on a one-year deal. It just broke not more than two hours ago. And it's kind of a, it, it kind of shocks a lot of people. It shocked me, especially Noah. I don't know how you felt, but it shocked me when I first saw the news across my phone from ESPN that Cam was going to the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, it shocked me too. Um, the one thing that is super surprising is the fact that if you look at the New England Patriots cap space, they're ranked thirty second in the league. They're the lowest. So how do you have the money to pay this guy? The reported deal is up to seven and a half million dollars for him. So I don't know where they're getting the money for this. I mean, does it say that they're going to be cutting some players just to make ends meet? Are they going to be restructuring some contracts in order to be able to pay Cam? Or are they going to be shipping people off? I don't know. I mean, they needed a quarterback. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I think they have to. They clearly needed a quarterback. I didn't think Jarrett Stidham was the answer to begin with. But the question rises now is who are they going to be shipping out of town? Or what deals are they going to be restructuring? I mean, there's a lot of unknowns here. That's exactly right. And you know what? I just want your initial reaction right now. When you saw the notification, you were surprised, but did you think good or did you think bad? I thought good. I mean, I think it helps them not only on offense, but just as a team in general. I mean, everyone was down after Tom Brady left for Tampa Bay. It seemed like out of the who was re- who was going to win that breakup of New England and Tom, it looked like Tom won seeing that he went to a great offense and great situation in Tampa. So it's, it was on Belichick to try to go out and find a new uh, new quarterback or new toy to play with, and he got it in Cam Newton. I mean, Cam's been waiting for his shot all offseason. Everyone's been down on him saying that, you know, the injury questions were there. Is he going to come back? Is he going to be able to be a starter? And I think it's a good situation for him in New England. I think that the Patriots and Cam's identities are going to fit so well because They've both already been counted out even before, even before the season started. I don't know what you think about that, but they both feel like they have the same identity to me. They got the chip on their shoulder, and that is exactly right. I see that, and that's kind of what's going to fire him to kind of get up and get going. You know, He's going to want that revenge. He's going to want to get back into the playoff scene that he's been in. But you know, it also makes you think like he, he clearly didn't sign with New England for the money. I mean, that is very apparent now. But like, what made him not want to sign with another team that has better weapons for him? I mean, even if you look at the Chargers, they drafted a QB, but Justin Herbert's probably not going to start this year. So, I mean, if you're in 
you're playing for the Chargers and you got Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry over there. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good duo for you. Your offensive line is good and your defense is not bad by any means. But I mean, you go to the Patriots, they have a proven winning pedigree, which is obviously something that he took into consideration when signing a contract with them. But I mean, I, I think that we really have to go through the roster and see what Cam Newton's going to be working with here. I mean, his threats there in New England, he's got Nikhil Harry, Mohamed Sanu, and Julian Edelman, and a tight end room that's really unproven. And when you look at his time in Carolina, his wide receivers really haven't been that great. I mean, he had Steve Smith for a little bit of time. He had Calvin Benjamin when he was good. He had Funchess, but he was never really that good. But his tight ends were always consistent. I mean, he had Greg Olson down there, and Greg Olson is a hall, future Hall of Fame tight end. So, I mean, you know, maybe New England needs to bring in another weapon. What do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking they do too. And there are a lot of guys out there that not a lot of people are really thinking of. Uh, Josh Gordon's still out there. He's available. Who knows uh, what teams are going to think of the the new restrictions regarding uh, marijuana and, and substance use. Uh, obviously, those have been sort of uh, tailored back, and they're a little more uh, a little more loose. The league policies surrounding that, so that opens up opportunities for a guy like Gordon to get back onto a team. And also, think about it, a guy like Antonio Brown. He's still out there, and everyone's wondering where he's going to go. I don't think the Patriots could bring either of those guys back because they were already on the Patriots before. One guy that does come to mind, though, for me, and he's been out of the league for a couple of years, though, is Des Bryant. I mean, he's been working out. Everyone was super high on him when he went to the Saints on that low deal. Everyone thought that he was going to be a piece to help them make a deep playoff run, but unfortunately he got injured within a couple of days of signing there. But could he be the low-cost piece to come in for the Patriots? We know they're in trouble in terms of their cap space and they're not going to be able to go out and sign a big-name weapon, but maybe they could get Des at a discount. He's another misfit just like Cam that everyone has counted out. I mean, but we know that they could still play, or at least they were still playing at a pretty high level before uh, before injuries uh, sort of hindered their uh, hindered their on-the-field performance. So maybe uh, maybe Des Bryant's a guy that they could go out and get and see what, see what they can do with him. And I think that that's also very cap-friendly if you go out and get Des Bryant. He's not going to want a lot of money. There's not a lot of teams calling his phone. But another guy that I think is a free agent wide receiver they could get is Chris Hogan. I mean, he already knows the system. He's a free agent, and they could definitely get him for cheap. So especially with these limited off-seasons, you got a guy that already is familiar with the New England Patriots, might be able to bring him back. He had success in New England, and he was you know on his time off, when he wasn't in New England, in New England, excuse me, he was with the Panthers. So, I mean, he's familiar with Cam. Granted, Cam only played for two games last year, so they really must have not had that much chemistry. But still, I mean, he knows the system, so that might help him a little bit. But I kind of want to go on to this a little bit of a segue here. I mean, Cam Newton, if you look at his time in Carolina, he only had three winning seasons. And he played nine seasons, so I mean, I guess you could say a third of the time he had a winning record. Is that good? I mean, I guess it's I guess it's average. But when you think about it, I mean, everyone thought that Cam Newton he has good talent. I mean, he's one of the best running and passing QBs that we have seen. Lamar Jackson's bringing that back, but I mean, Cam Newton's just a freak athlete. In twenty thirteen, twenty fifteen, and twenty seventeen, those are the three years that they won or had a winning record 
one of those years they made it to the Super, they went 15 and one. I mean, that's unbelievable. In 2013, they went 12 and four. In 2017, they went 11 and five. So all of these winning seasons, they're pretty big margins. It's not just like a nine and seven, nine and seven season. Like they're they're actually racking up a decent amount of wins. But the problem is that, you know, I don't know. Is Cam Newton? He's older. The past few seasons, I mean, the most recent winning season he had was 2017. He made it to the Super Bowl in 2015. Do you think Cam can return back to that 2015 form, that MVP season that he had that year? Do you think Cam can kind of go back to his youth there? I don't think Cam is the same player now that he was in those MVP years, mainly because he was doing a lot with his legs. He was rolling outside of the pocket. He was taking big hits in the open field trying to make plays with his legs. I mean, that's what Cam Newton's identity was. The man rushed for, I believe, 14 touchdowns in one single season, which is absolutely absurd from a quarterback. I don't think that that's the Cam Newton anymore. I don't think that they're going to actually have Cam Newton be the do-it-all guy there in New England. I think that they're going to try to play Cam Newton the same way that they played Brady. They're going to try to make Cam make smarter decisions, which I do think that he has the ability to do. I think Cam Newton's a very hard-working quarterback, and I think with Bill Belichick, he's going to be able to turn into a guy that's going to that's going to be a more efficient starter. I mean, you saw early on in his career when he was that running quarterback, he completed less than 60% of his passes. I mean, but you look at his most recent full season in 2018 or close to, he completed nearly 68% of his passes. So he we've seen him be that sort of in-the-pocket type of passer and not trying to do it all with his legs. So I think that's what we're going to get with Cam Newton in New England. I don't think that we're going to get the MVP season Cam Newton, the guy just making crazy, crazy out of the pocket plays with his legs. But uh, what do you, what's your take on that? Do you think that they're going to have Cam Newton run as much as he did in his past? Not, not in the mobile sense where he's going to be like on Lamar Jackson, you know, just running the ball all the time. I mean, Look at those teams that he did have winning records on. His weapons really were not that good. I mean, he had Ted Ginn. In 2015, he had Ginn. He had Devin Funches, Jericho Cotri, Greg Olson, and an injured Calvin Benjamin. I mean, they're not great. You know, he doesn't have great weapons. They're not stellar. It's definitely it maybe top half in the league, but barely. I mean, it might be less than that. I mean, in 2013, when he had a winning season, the, his best weapon was Steve Smith. And, I mean, Steve Smith was a beast. No disrespect to him. Um, I mean, they had Steve Smith, Ted Ginn, D'Angelo Williams. Decent. Kind of resembles what they have now. I mean, what the Patriots have. I mean, Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, somebody that's unproven but could break out to be a star. He's only in his second year. And then in 2017, their weapons were Funchess, Russell Shepard, Greg Olson, an older Greg Olson, and they had Christian McCaffrey on his rookie year that year. He had a thousand all-purpose yards. To put that in perspective, this year he had like twenty nine hundred all-purpose yards, so he really didn't hit his full potential yet. But I mean, you see these seasons that he's able to win with, and I think that the burden was placed on Cam Newton to kind of make it happen. That's my concern with his fit with the Patriots, is that, you know, the seasons you have comparable weapons to what he had in Carolina is the burden going to be placed on Cam Newton. And at that age, can he really do it? I don't know. And I know the Patriots defense is very good, but they did lose some key weapons. They lost Van Noy and that, that can really hurt a defense. You lose a linebacker like that. And I mean, the Panthers defense, when he did have those winning seasons, they were no joke. They had prime Thomas Davis. They had prime Luke Keekley. They had prime Josh Norman. I mean, they just had, 
their defense was solid and their offense, you know, their offense led the leagues, led the league, especially in 2015 when Cam Newton put up that MVP season. But I don't know if Cam can still carry that burden on his shoulder. I just don't. I think that they're going to have to put a lot of pressure on the weapons and the supporting cast around him. But when Cam, when Tom Brady was in New England, the thing about Tom Brady is he's not athletic, at least he's not as athletic as Cam Newton is not even close, but the thing is that his football IQ and his decision-making is so much better. It's, it's unbelievably on another level compared to Cam Newton. I mean, Cam Newton had his athleticism is what really made him that X factor. And I don't know if that's still there at, you know, this age at this point in his career coming off an injury riddled last season where he only played two games. I don't know if he can really return to that form and if that could really help him with the Patriots. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that he can be the guy that Tom Brady was with all of the pressure on it. But when you mentioned the defenses that Cam Newton had in Carolina, I mean, we even though that New England lost some pieces in the offseason, they still have Stephon Gilmore. They still have the McCourty twins. I mean, this is an elite defense, definitely still top 10. So they're going to be able to keep other teams at bay and get Cam Newton the ball on the field And with coaching, I do think Cam Newton's going to be able to be a relatively efficient quarterback. Maybe not as efficient as Tom. I mean, he's probably the greatest mind in all of quarterbacking when it comes to his football IQ. But Cam Newton has never had a negative touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, if you go look at his numbers, he puts up at least 20 touchdowns a season for the most part. And And it's around 15 interceptions, which aren't dazzling numbers, but when you think about what he can do with his legs, I know we had already mentioned he's not going to be what he was doing in his MVP years and in his younger years, but still, he's going to give you a few touchdowns, way more than Tom Brady would ever give you outside of the pocket in a mobile sense. So we've mentioned before the kind of weapons that Cam Newton had had. I mean, his best wide receiver was either Steve Smith, who was at the latter half of his career, or Ted Ginn. So Cam Newton hasn't had weapons to throw to. He doesn't necessarily have to have a stud guy to have successful numbers that we've seen the numbers that he's put up in the past, and they've been pretty solid. It's about an average of 20 to 25 touchdowns a season and around 15 interceptions. And with the wide receivers that the Patriots have right now, I think that that's definitely a possibility he could put up the same numbers. He's proven veteran wide receivers there. Julian Edelman has been all reliable for Tom Brady for a number of years, and he's had his very clutch moments Everyone wants to point to the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl, but he's had other clutch moments as well. And also coming from Atlanta is Mohamed Sanu. We know that he didn't have a very good season with the Patriots last year at all, but when he was on the Falcons, he had very good chemistry with Matt Ryan. He was a solid complimentary veteran wide receiver. And then Marquise Lee, too, from the Jags. He'll get a chance to work with Cam Newton here and be a solid veteran presence there as well. And we've mentioned Akil Harry's name. Is he unproven right now? Yes, but he could potentially boom into a much larger role with Cam. So I don't think it's out of the question for Cam to come in immediately and have success with these guys. I mean, he hasn't had any better weapons in the past, in my opinion. So Julian Edelman and him could have very solid chemistry. Cam's more of a big playability guy, though. I mean, we've seen him throw it down the field with that large arm, but maybe Bill Belichick can rein him in here a little bit and be a more efficient, over-the-middle kind of passing quarterback. I said a few shows ago in the gambling corner, I said, you know what? 
I did it. Take Patriots under nine and a half wins this season. And you know what? I'm going to stick by it. I do not think that Cam Newton joining the Patriots really changes that at all. And I think you really have to go back and look at their schedule here. No, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but um, under nine and a half wins, I think so. I mean, last season they went 12 and 12 and four. 12 and 4 in the regular season, very good. And you know what? I think it was ridiculous the last season, the end of the season. People were counting out Tom, Tom Brady and the Patriots. Oh, they're not that good. Granted, they lost in the first round, but they still only lost four games. Like that team was really good. But if you think about it, you look at the teams that they beat that season. I mean, you look at the AFC East. Okay. You play the Dolphins twice, the Jets twice, you play the Bills twice. I mean, the Bills are the toughest opponent in that division and they beat the bills twice and they lost to the dolphins once because it was the last week of the season. And then when they played the jets, they beat them both times. So essentially they sweep the whole division except for the dolphins, which was a throwaway game at the end of the season. But I mean, their opponents were not hard. They played the NFC East. So they played the Redskins. They played the giants who were terrible. They beat both of them. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers week one and the Pittsburgh Steelers were not good by any means last year. They lost to the Baltimore Ravens, which were legitimate competition for them. They beat the Cleveland Browns. Okay, they were nothing special last year. They beat the Eagles and the Cowboys, which are good wins. Those are very good wins, especially one was on the road against the Eagles, and that's a very tough win to come by. They beat them. But, I mean, you look at the games that they lost. They they lost the Houston Texans, and they lost the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, the playoffs, the, the games they lost were against playoff teams, the Ravens, the Texans, and the Chiefs. And they ended the season beating the Bengals and the Bills again. I mean, those are the Bills were decent, but I mean, the Bengals were not very good. So their team, they weren't beating very high caliber playoff teams last season. And when you look at this season, their schedule gets even harder. They got to play the pay, obviously the AFC East, they play them twice, but I mean, they're non-divisional games. You're playing the Seahawks. You're playing the Chiefs, the 49ers, three teams right there that were in the playoffs. Then you got to play the Ravens, you got to play the Texans, got to play the Rams, got to play the and the Bills, you know, they're no joke anymore. I still think the Bills are going to win the AFC East. So I think their their schedule is so much harder this year and I do not think Cam Newton can really I don't think he can elevate them above 9 wins. Yeah, it's going to be really close. The one thing that does fare well for them, though, is Belichick has over a 70% win percentage when going up against rookie QBs. So you've got, you have the situation with Tua. I do believe that he's going to be the starter for the Dolphins definitely by the end of the year, and he could potentially be the starter at the beginning of the season for them. So that's two games right there. And then you have Justin Herbert with the Chargers, and that's three. And then even though he's not a rookie QB this year, he's still going to be playing his first full season, Drew Locke, and Denver I mean you have to think about the guy that's the mastermind behind it all it's Bill Belichick I love Tom Brady but I still think that Bill Belichick's the guy here and I think they're going to be able a lot of teams are going to count him out and I do think Vegas is going to count him out here too I don't think that that win total is going to move up from would you say it was eight and a half nine and a half I got it I, I got it in nine and a half but I think they moved the line to eight and a half now yeah, I think they're counting them out here. I mean, like, it's still an elite defense. I know we've mentioned that they did lose a little bit of pieces, but it's it's going to be close because, like you said, they are going up against some elite head coaches, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Harbaugh, and you have Pete Carroll. I mean, that is just tough non-division schedule. And then you have a much improved – you have a much improved Arizona Cardinals team there as well. So, And you also have uh, – 
uh, Sean McVay with the Rams. I mean, it's just absolutely brutal for them. So, like you said, Cam may – we're going to see if Cam's going to be able to elevate their play. I do think there could be a little bit of a value there if that number drops even lower. It's going to be close to beat that number, though. I don't know. I don't know if Cam's going to be enough to do it, but it's going to be really close to that number at eight and a half. I mean, I'm I might disagree with you here. I mean, I honestly, I know you say it's close, but dude, I do not. I think they're going to be eight win team max. Honestly, they have to go up against every single team that they lost to last year. They got to play. Obviously, both teams that were in the Super Bowl last year, you got to play the Texans again. You got to play the Ravens again. The Broncos are no joke with their weapons. And I do not think that Cam Newton really makes their team that much better than if they had Tom Brady on the team. Plus, if you if you look at their draft, it was one of the worst drafts I've ever seen. I mean, they they drafted like nobody, you know? They, they really did not have a good draft. They did not address a lot of the needs that they had. And like we said in the beginning of the show, they have no cap space to really sign anybody. So, you know, I don't really think that they're going to be able to have much success outside of the AFC East. And I do think that the Bills are still going to win that division. Their defense is much better. They have Josh Norman on that defense now as well, alongside Jadavius White in the secondary. And their offensive weapons, they got Stefan Diggs. So, I mean, their offense is much improved as well. And, you know, you look at some of these teams, you look at the Cardinals, they're good. They're going to be very good. They have great weapons. They have DeAndre Hopkins now. And, you know, a lot of the other teams that they lost to, like the Chiefs, the Texans, the Ravens, all of them, they really did not lose anybody. The Ravens, honestly, they got stronger. They got Calais Campbell back on their team. Their defense is even more amped up than it ever has been. And, you know, in the news, it's been all over that Antonio Brown was thinking about signing with either the Ravens or the Seahawks. I mean, if he goes to one of those teams, there's no way the Patriots can stop them. So I think it's going to be really, really tough for them to even get to eight wins. In terms of a number figure, how many wins better do you think the Patriots will do with Cam Newton than they would have if Jarrett Stidham would have been their starter going in week one? I think that in that system, I honestly think Cam Newton gives you a one game, a one game improvement, honestly. In his condition that he is in now, with no honestly physical analysis since he's been injured with all he's been putting out is workout videos. And that has to have been a contributing factor to him getting signed. But I do not think that it really gives them more wins than one. I mean, I think the Patriots were a seven win team with Stidham. I think that they're an eight win team with cam. I really, you know, I just think the supporting cast is not there and their schedule is just so tough that I, I, I don't think it's in their favor at all. What about you? See, I think it's a little more than that. I'm not going to go crazy here and say it's like five or six wins. I, I still think the Bills are the division favorite here. I think they're a much more well-rounded team, but I think it's probably two to three. I thought they were going to be a six and six and ten team with Stidham there. I think it could be a nine and seven team here with uh with Cam, but I don't think that they're going to be as good as they were with Tom, but. The one interesting stat here, and again, I'm going to say that people are going to be counting Belichick out, is do you want to know the last time that Belichick had a losing season? It was 2000. Jeez. 2000. And, but during that time, he had, what, only one season where Tom Brady didn't play a majority of games? 
Right. And on that team, on that season that he didn't play majority of games, I believe that they still had Randy Moss on that team. They still had Wes Welker. They still had some pretty decent weapons. Correct. All I'm saying is that are you going to say that the Bill Belichick without Tom Brady now, do you think Tom Brady's that good that they're going to drop immediately down to 5 and 11, 6 and 10 in that range? I mean, the guy hasn't lost or had a losing season in 20 years. It's it's tough to say, but I'm telling you right now, dude, I I would bet against the Patriots right now. I think that at max, at max, book it right now, eight wins. I'm not afraid to take the criticism on that. Eight wins is their ceiling. I do not think that Cam Newton makes him that much that much better. All right, we'll put it into the logs that Mark is going to take the New England Patriots under eight and a half, and I'll go bold here. I'll take the other side. I think the New England Patriots will surprise people with Cam Newton, and I'm going to take them over eight and a half wins. I, I I guess we'll wait and see. That that's what makes it interesting. And you know what? I think that it. I think that a big concern, and I and I kind of direct this. I know we got to move on, but I kind of want you to answer this question. But you know, why did the Patriots not sign him to a longer contract if they really believe in Cam Newton? Why not sign him to a few year contract where then it could be more cap favorable? You could backload the contract and make it cap favorable, and he could actually make a little bit more money. Why not make it a longer contract? Well, we've mentioned the cap space that they have right now. I don't think that they want to lock themselves in while they're in a, such a tight cap situation right now. I know you said that they could backload the contract to try to sort of weasel things around and free up some more space for this year. But then the other thing, too, is his injury concerns. I mean, Belichick's no dummy. He knows the concerns with injuries like that. We know the problems Cam Newton has had in the past with his shoulder. So I don't want to say that it's a prove-it deal here. I think Cam Newton's a proven veteran, and we know what he can do when he's healthy. But they just want to make sure that he's back to original form. I don't think Belichick's going to take the risks unless he absolutely has to. No one else was signing him to a big deal, so why should Belichick? I think that they're getting him at sort of a bargain. And the other thing, too, is there's no true number figure on it. We haven't seen it yet. All we know is that it's worth up to $7.5 million. So he could actually be getting less than that because some incentives could come into play there in that contract. So he could be even getting even less than $7.5 million, which for me, if you get a healthy Cam Newton, that's an absolute steal in terms of the cap. That's very true. So, you know what? Let's move on to the In the News segment, where we talk about news stories that happened over the past week. Big one that happened was the NHL draft lottery. It was very interesting. The NHL, unlike the NFL, does a lottery where – if you're a losing team, you essentially have a higher percentage chance of getting a first-round pick versus where in the NFL, if you're the worst team in the league, you get the first-round pick. So the NHL draft lottery happened last week, and it was very interesting. Uh, Noah, walk us through that. Yeah, so the draft lottery occurred with the teams that are not currently in the NHL proposed playoff format, and uh, they did not select a team from those bottom teams for the number one overall pick that will be determined in the second phase of the draft coming this Friday. So the draft order was for the bottom eight picks. So it went eight for the Buffalo Sabres, seven for the New Jersey Devils, six for the Anaheim Ducks, five for the Ottawa Senators, four for the Detroit Red Wings, three for Ottawa. Again, they had a pick in a trade from San Jose. 
So they got that pick. And then two was the LA Kings. The number one pick is going to be determined in the second phase of the NHL draft lottery coming up this Friday. So essentially what's going to happen is that the bottom eight teams that come out of the proposed 24 NHL uh, playoff format right now are going to be put into put into a pot and they'll have the equal chance of 12.5% in order to see who's going to get the number one overall pick. Which is interesting because you could see some pretty talented teams getting a chance to win based off of if they win the first round of the NHL playoffs. A team like the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Nashville Predators or the New York Rangers or the Islanders could possibly end up with the number one overall pick, which is absolutely absurd. I mean, Mark, what do you think about that? Do you think that that's honestly fair that a star-studded team like that, if they lose in the first round, could have a chance to land the number one overall pick? I, you know what? I kind of don't think it's fair. And when you look at, when you look at some of the teams out there, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, like if they, they have a very high powered team, their offense is unbelievable. Their defense needs some help, but their offense is John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. They just have great weapons on offense. They could potentially end up with the first round pick. And, you know, people might be a little bit confused. Oh, but, didn't the Carolina Panthers get that pick when the Patrick Marlowe trade? But the thing is that that pick is actually restricted. So if the Toronto Maple Leafs were to get a top 10 pick, it would not go to the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. It would stay with the Maple Leafs. And the next year's draft, their, the Maple Leafs' first-round pick would then go to the Hurricanes. So the Hurricanes, I mean, if Toronto gets that number one pick, they would not be getting the benefits of that. And people thought that the Rangers might be get the first round pick if the Hurricanes lose because the Rangers are owed the first round pick from the Canes for the Brady Shea trade. But in that situation, the Rangers would get the lowest of the Carolina Panthers first round picks since they have two first round picks. They have their own first round pick and the pick from the Maple Leafs. So they would get the lowest of those two. So the Rangers essentially would not end up with a first round pick either. But, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I mean, if, if you look at one either of those teams, I mean, the Maple Leafs or the, the Hurricanes, I mean, if one of those teams get the first-round pick, it's kind of unfair. I mean, both those teams are pretty star-studded already, and, you know, I don't really agree with that. But it'll be interesting to see, and I think it, it's all very dependent on what happens in the playoffs here. But, you know, why not give the first-round pick? It should have gone to Detroit or maybe Ottawa. Ottawa had two for two picks in the top three in the lottery and they still ended up with not the first round pick i mean that's kind of unbelievable but i mean i guess we'll wait and see what happens in the playoffs but next on the agenda is the mlb agreement mlb agreed finally to resume play they agreed upon a 60 game regular season leading into the playoffs, which could be good. It was finally, after a lot of a negotiation, they finally reached a middle ground, and I think it's good for baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's good for baseball. It's good for the players. They're actually going to get to play this season. It's good for owners and organizations that they're going to get at least some revenue back. It's going to be a significantly lower percentage due to everything going on with coronavirus, but it'll at least help the league out, and we're going to be getting baseball back. I mean, that's the best part. So... Like you said, 60 games, um, the MLB is deciding that they're going to try to keep it as geographically efficient as possible. They're reducing travel, so they're going to be playing 40 games within their own divisions, and then 20 teams, or 20 games, excuse me, 
outside of their division with corresponding divisions in the other league, but that's yet to be determined. So shortened season, uh, trying to keep it as efficient as possible, trying not to have as much travel. Uh, that's due to the safety of the players and just to the time constraints. It's just going to be really interesting to see how this limited number of games is going to impact who's actually going to win. I mean, you look at teams uh, that were contenders last year. You look at the Washington Nationals who won it, and then you look at the Houston Astros, Yankees, Dodgers. Those are the perennial powerhouses. Uh, they all have good pitching. They all have good rosters, and I feel like those teams who are star-studded in this shortened format, I think they're still going to be the favorites. I think it's really going to hurt the small market teams and the sort of the long shot teams here. But what do you think, Mark? Do you think that some team could squeak in here possibly that uh, that isn't necessarily a favorite and somehow make it into the postseason? I think they could, but it's kind of a long shot. I don't know. Um, it, it kind of it's kind of similar to basketball, I guess, where you got a bunch of teams. And I mean, some of them have long shots to make the playoffs. But I mean... I don't know. It's tough because you definitely want to return to baseball, but it's all about the fairness. I mean, I think that regardless, all these sports leagues, the NHL, NBA, MLB, they're all going to have an asterisk next to the championship winner, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is in these situations and trying times where we're even trying to get back to some sort of normalcy, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. The, NASCAR had a bunch of races the past few weekends, um, last weekend, this weekend, and during the week, they just had unbelievable NASCAR. Um, Bubba Wallace, it was just an amazing showing with what NASCAR did for Bubba Wallace after a garage pull-down rope was fastened into the shape of a noose, and it was in his garage that his team found. It was later found out that the noose was not it had been there for over a year which is a sign of relief that it was not a hate crime or anything like that but it was just really nice to see that nascar rallied around him and i actually watched the date um the talladega which was unbelievable it was really interesting i put money on brad keselowski to win he did not win unfortunately but i did guess that a Ford car would win, which helped me a little bit out with my losses. And then this weekend, the Pocono 350 was around. Denny Hamlin brought me to the winner's circle. So, I mean, I, I, I'm I getting into NASCAR more, and I think that a lot of people are as well because it's kind of brought NASCAR into the light. And it's really interesting. It's really fun. People think it might be a little boring, but, I mean, there's just there's crashes, there's action, and it's really interesting, especially at the end. It's just an unbelievable sport to watch, and I really love it. But, I mean, big wins for myself this weekend. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too proud to brag, but, I mean, I mean, I love it. I love NASCAR. I'm going to definitely watch it some more. But on to the last topic in the news is Kyle Shanahan is actually running off-season programs through Zoom, and I know a lot of teams are, but he's, he's actually doing it in a little bit of a special way. He's going in-depth with his players. He's trying to make sure everybody's on the same page. And I think that it's really good to be proactive and, and do things that what you, what you can do when you can't be face-to-face with your players. And I think that's really good on Shanahan's part. Yeah, I do too. And I mean, it's similar to the year when the NFL had the lockout back in the early 2010s. I mean, it's you're not going to be having the OTAs or anything like that. So players are sort of on their own uh 
to keep themselves in shape and to make sure that they're ready for the season. So, and that's where tools and technology like Zoom come into play. And it's good for Kyle Shanahan uh, to try to communicate with his players, make sure that they're doing well, make sure that they're going over the playbook, certain film, just to try to keep them up to speed and try to keep them uh, in tune with the organization. And we actually had a personal connection with a little uh, little story. One of our friends uh, from college, one of his buddies plays college football for Texas A&M, and he was invited to a Zoom call with a bunch of NFLers, uh, Vaughn Miller most notably, leading the uh, leading the call there. And they were just talking about uh, talking about football, how everything's affected by the off season or not the off-season, coronavirus, excuse me, and just how players are staying in touch with each other. So there's another example of how not only coaches, but players are using Zoom just in order to keep in touch with each other and keep up on the times and making sure everyone's good, checking in, keeping up with how things are going with training and things like that. So it's really good that we have this technology uh, to be able to stay in touch and uh, get through this, this weird thing going on with corona. Yeah, exactly. And I think that he's doing a great job. And I think that a lot of coaches are going to do the same. But it'll be interesting to see. And I think we've mentioned this before. It'll be interesting to see how the young guys will do during this time, not being on the field and especially new QBs in different systems, not being able to get that reputation and that chemistry with your wide receivers. So it'll be tough, but I think that he's being very proactive with it. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back in about one minute. And we're back to the second half of the show. If you missed the first half, what we did is a huge segment on the breaking news of Cam Newton joining the New England Patriots. Then we went into the end of news segment, talked about the NHL, MLB, talked about NASCAR. And now what we're going to do is talk about the best value versus the most expensive value team. So what Noah and I did was we put together two teams. One team is the best players with the lowest contracts per year, and we put together a team of the best players with the highest contracts per year. So we're going to go through these lists, and what we're going to do is compare them and see you know, which team you would rather have or which position is a better value for the money. So let's start with the first one, Noah. Let's start with QB. Okay, For the best value, you got Lamar Jackson. And for the most expensive, you got Russell Wilson. Who are you taking? Yeah, it's a tough one here because we know from my rankings a couple weeks ago, I have Russ as the best QB in the league. But at $2.3 million, how could you not pass up on Lamar Jackson? I mean, last year's MVP of the league. I mean, like Christian McCaffrey, how he plays essentially running back and wide receiver. Lamar plays running back and quarterback. I mean, you get a thousand yard rusher on the ground, you get a very solid passer. So I would absolutely take Lamar Jackson here at two point three million. I think he's the best value at the position. I agree. I'm taking Lamar here too. In comparison for everybody, Russell Wilson's getting paid thirty five million and Lamar Jackson's getting paid two point three. So if you can get a QB with relatively similar attributes at a literal less than 10% of the cost, I'd take Lamar Jackson. He's just as good. Let's move on to wide receiver here. We got, we did three wide receivers each. So for the best value, we got Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, and Terry McLaurin for a grand total of less than $3 million combined. 
And for the most expensive wide receivers, we got Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, and Michael Thomas. And you're paying over $50 million for those three. So $3 million versus $50 million, but it's Godwin, Galladay, McLaurin versus Julio, Amari Cooper, and Michael Thomas. Who are you taking? Yeah, this one's tough, too, because besides Amari Cooper, I mean, Julio Jones and Michael Thomas – one can make the argument that those are the top two receivers in the game right now. And so even at their price tag, you would want to have the top two guys at the positions. But Chris Godwin, I mean, everyone everyone did not see the season that he had coming last year. He had a fantastic year. He put up better numbers than Mike Evans, who everyone argues is a top five wide receiver in the league. So, And then alongside that, Kenny Galladay is a very solid weapon there in Detroit. And Terry McLaurin had a great rookie year last year. So I'm a big fan of the value that those guys bring, but I might have to go with the most expensive option here. I would love to have Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, and Amari Cooper on my team, even though that that price tag is just absolutely absurd. I think I'm going to go with the more expensive unit here. You're paying a combined $61 million for three wide receivers, and I couldn't agree with you more. You got two of those three receivers are the top two, top two arguably in the league, and Michael Thomas and Julio Jones and Amari Cooper. He's no bum. He's very, very good. So I mean, Galladay, McLaurin, young. McLaurin's young. Galladay's young, and Godwin. He's young as well. He's a beast. Godwin is best of all three of those, but the other two. You can't, I mean, they're not even in the same category as Amari, Julio, and Michael. So I think you got to pay up for that position. Let's move on to running back. For the value running back, we have Alvin Kamara, who shockingly only makes $900,000 a year in the average salary, versus Christian McCaffrey, who's getting paid $16 million. Who are you going with? This one's tough. I mean, I just mentioned it that Christian McCaffrey pretty much plays two positions, but Alvin Kamara, we know what he could do out of the backfield, not only running the ball, but he's a very solid uh, pass catching back there. Uh, I spoke about that a few shows ago when we were doing our running back rankings, but this one's, this one's probably the toughest for me, even though the value is there with Kamara at only a million dollars, just under a million, I'm still going to go with McCaffrey here. I mean, I want him on my team. I think anybody does. Really? Yeah, I'm going to take Christian McCaffrey, even though it's the most expendable position in the league. I, he's the best value at that position because he plays two positions. I mean, he catches the ball. He's a wide receiver and a running back all built into one. So I'm taking McCaffrey. You know what? I'm going to disagree with you here. I'm going to go. McCa- I'm going to go with Kamara because... You know, actually, a story came out today where Adrian Peterson said that he feels a little bit disrespected that running backs are not getting paid as much as other skill positions. But, I mean, you have to look at the value of a running back. Like you said, McCaffrey is more than a running back. He can pass and catch, but so can so can Kamara. I mean, Kamara gets – he only had 800 yards rushing last year, but, I mean, he still had an unbelievable amount of receiving yards. He can do both. He's very versatile, and I think that – with the value of under a million dollars for a position like running back, I think you have to go with Kamara here, but you know, CMC, he might be the best. He is the best dual threat in the league, but you know, he might be the best offensive weapon period in the league just because he, you can do so much with him, but I'm going to go Kamara here at 900 just because of the value you get with his contract. But you know, let's move on to tight end here. George Kittle, 
for the value tight ends. He's only getting paid 600000 I think that's kind of a no-brainer. The most expensive, you're going Hunter Henry. He's been injury-prone, but I really think it's a no-brainer. I think you got to go Kittle here. Yeah, absolutely. No-brainer. I mean, Kittle's posted over 1,000 yards receiving in his past two seasons. I mean, he's an all-pro, arguably the best tight end at the position for that little. I mean, Hunter Henry, no slouch when he's healthy, but just nowhere near the talent that George Kittle is here. I mean, you get absolutely stud value here at $674,000. You're absolutely taking George Kittle over anyone else in the league. Definitely. Let's move on to the defense now. Um, Let's go into the corners. So we did two cornerbacks. For the value cornerbacks, we got Tredavious White and Marlon Humphrey for a combination of 4.9 4.9 million. Let's call it five just to make it even. Five million dollars for two corners. Stu Davies White and Marlon Humphreys, great players, versus the most expensive corners where you're going with Byron Jones and Darius Slay, both with different teams this season. Darius Slay went to the Eagles. Byron Jones is on the Dolphins now. But you're playing a price tag of about 32 million compared to five million. Which one are you taking? You taking a combo of Tredarius White and Marlon Humphrey, or are you taking Byron Jones, Darius Slay? I'm going to go with the young guns here. I'm going to take Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey and Tredavious White as the least expensive option. Uh, Darius Slay and Byron Jones, both proven veteran corners here, but that price tag is too high for me. And uh, both White and Humphrey have shown promise. Uh, White with the Bills and Humphrey with the Ravens. I mean, I'm going to go with the value here. Uh, you're getting those guys for under $6 million versus 32 with relatively similar production, maybe a little less, but I'm going to take the value here. I'm going to go with those two at corner. Let's say I change this up on you. Let's say I throw in Stefan Gilmore because he's also making $16 million. I throw him in instead of I'll take, I'll take throw him in instead of Byron Jones. If you, would you take Stefan Gilmore and Darius Slay for the same price tag over Marlon Humphrey, Tredavious? Why do you still sticking with the young guns? You know, it's going to be really close because you get arguably the best corner in the game thrown into play here. But I'm still going to stick with the young guns here. I'm going to go with the uh, go with the young guns and the low cap hit. I think that they're up and coming. I don't think we've seen the best from either of those guys yet. And so at that price tag, I think it's hard to resist. I agree. You know what? I threw and through. You still got Tre'Davious White. He was a top cornerback last year in the league, and Marlon Humphrey. He's a top cornerback too so at five million you can't really beat it let's go on to the safety position at free safety let's do them combined free safety strong safety so for free safety and strong safety for the value team we got buddha baker and jamal adams i mean both of them are very good players and young jamal adams he's on the jets but he might move but both young both good players a combined price tag for the two of them 6.7 million that's almost nothing Versus you go to the most, you know, the most expensive team. You got Eddie Jackson and Landon Collins combined 28 million. So 28 million versus 6.7. Who are you taking? Uh, this one's a no brainer to me as well. I'm going to go with the value team. And arguably, I would say that both of these players could outplay uh, the more expensive options. We had missed touching on Buda Baker and our safety rankings. I don't think we did him justice. The man had over 140 combined tackles last year. He had 147 and then 43 assisted. That is absolutely absurd. And then when you mention Jamal Adams' name, he's arguably the best safety in the league, and everyone everyone uh, reveres him as a top 10 player in the league. 
and you're getting those guys at under $7 million combined versus Eddie Jackson and Landon Collins, who are big names and great players, don't get me wrong, but with the value of those two, I could you could argue that those two players on the value side are better than the ones that are more expensive. So I'm going to go with uh, Buda Baker and Jamal Adams. I don't even think it's an argument. I think you're flat out correct that they're better. If the price tag was switched and that Jamal and Buda Baker were more expensive, I'd still take them. I think that they're, they're generational talents that are just they're so good, and I think they can't really pass that up. Let's move to the linebacker position. We're going to do these separately. We're going to do middle linebacker and outside linebacker. So middle linebacker, you got Tremaine Edmonds at $3 million versus Bobby Wagner at eighteen. Which one are you taking? This is probably the toughest one on the defensive side of the ball for me just because even though his price tag is so high, he's arguably the best at his position. We know Tremaine Edmonds is up and coming, and he's going to be a presence at the middle linebacker position for years to come. I'm, I'm going to go Bobby Wagner here, even though his price tag is so much higher and the production's pretty close. I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with Bobby Wagner. I think he's the best guy in the league. So I would pay the price. I'm willing to pay the price to have him on my team. It's the same thing with Christian McCaffrey and Kamara. Kamara's a great player, but I want the best player at that position. So I'm going to pay the price for Bobby Wagner. I'm going to agree with you here. I'm going to think Bobby Wagner too, but the difference between that and Kamara is I think middle linebacker is a way more important position. You're kind of the captain of the defense back there, and Bobby Wagner's he's Hall of Fame material. Tremaine Edmonds, he's still young, and he's a beast, but he, we just he's just not proven. And even at $18 million, yeah, I'll take that any day. Please give me Bobby Wagner on my team. Let's go to outside linebacker, and you know this one is extremely tough. I mean – the outside linebacker comparison here is for the value team. You got TJ Watt and Darius Leonard at a combined three point eight million bucks versus Von Miller, Khalil Mack, and you're talking forty two million. Who you taking here? Yeah, like you said, this is another tough one for me. But uh, I spent the money at the middle linebacker position to captain my defense, so I'm gonna go with the value here, and I'm gonna take the young guns in TJ Watt and Darius Leonard over Khalil Mack and Vaughn Miller. And it's no slight at those guys. They're all pro players. Vaughn Miller is a Super Bowl champion. I mean, but just with the amount of value there, I mean, it's less than $4 million for two pro bowl caliber players in TJ Watt and Darius Leonard. It's tough, but I'm going to go with those two. Who are you taking? I'm going to agree with you here. I mean, I wish I didn't, but, I love disagreeing with you, but I mean, I can't hear you got TJ Watt and you got Darius Leonard, two players that in, when we were making our position rankings, they were the number two player or number one player on each of our lists at their position. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a no brainer. Von Miller's older. I mean, he, he didn't have the, as great of a season as he had, as he has had in his career. Khalil Mack is still a beast, but you know, again, not as good as he, not as good of a season as he's had in his career. But, you know, I think that at the price tag you're paying here, you're talking, what, $4 million compared to forty-two. Yeah, I'm going to take the young guys. And we're going to go on to our last position, defensive end. You got, for the value side, you got Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa at a combined $13 million, Or you can go Demarcus Lawrence, Frank Clark at $41 million. Who are you going with? Yeah, I'm going to, again, I'm going to go with the young guys here. Uh Bosa and Garrett are both up-and-comers. I mean, we've seen the seasons that they've put together. We know what their skill level is. 
and it just all boils down to the value. I mean, it's what thirteen million versus roughly forty forty two again. I mean, it's just a no brainer in my opinion. I, I already paid the price for the captain of the defense with Bobby Wagner, but with these other positions, I don't think that the I don't think that the price tag versus the value is uh is good enough to pay for the veterans. So I'm gonna go with the young guys here. I'm gonna go with Garrett and Bosa. I'm gonna agree with you here. Um I don't think you can really argue with this because even if the price tags were reversed, I'd still take Miles Garrett and Joey Bosa just because they're better talents than Demarcus Lawrence and Frank Clark. I think Frank Clark is overpaid. I think Demarcus Lawrence got paid and then stopped, you know, last season he kind of fell off. Miles Garrett's about to get paid and Joey Bosa, he doesn't even get paid as much as his little brother, Nick Bosa. And I think that he's better. So I think that you know, you're getting great value here at the defensive ends. And I think that something that we should point out here is the value team, the total contract value for the value team is $38 million. To put that into comparison, Russell Wilson's contract alone is $35 million. So that's $3 million more than just Russell Wilson's contract. It's absurd. And obviously this team would never be assembled in real life unless you had the best scouts in football and were able to draft rookie years year after year after year within like three or four years you were able to draft unbelievable players and hit on every single pick but it's just to show that the young guys they can ball and they ball at a cheap price so it's drafting is super important Noah, what was the price tag on that most expensive team yeah that most expensive team uh all combined 286 million which is absolutely absurd, absurd. it's absurd i mean it's it's crazy but I mean, when you look at your and my team, you're talking a difference of 16 million and, or, well, 15 million. And the only difference in that is the, the Christian McCaffrey contract. It really comes down do you still support? You think Christian McCaffrey is worth paying an extra 15 million? Look, you and I are going to disagree on this. I feel like we need to disagree on one thing because we pretty much agreed on the rest of the team. But yes, I do think that Christian McCaffrey justifies his contract. I'm a huge Alvin Kamara fan, and him being under a million dollars is just an absolute steal, along with pretty much every other player on that best value team. But I think Christian McCaffrey's contract is justified. I'm willing to pay the extra 15 if it means to disagree with you so the viewers can have... uh, have something here so that we can uh, debate. But uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of this discrepancy between the amount of the amount of the, all the contracts added up, I mean, 38 million versus 286. I mean, you better take that whole team if you could. I mean, like you said, if someone, if a scout could scout all of those guys and predict that they were going to be talented. That should be the highest paid man in the entire NFL. I don't care who he yeah. is. Give yeah. that man the money. Show him the money if he could scout Tell out all money. those guys. It's absurd. But, you know, that's pretty much all the time we have for this week. No, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Follow us on Twitter, guys, at OnTheLinePod, underscores between every word. We tweet, you know, we comment on a lot of big sport tweets. We tweet out our own original content, tweet out visuals every week. Um, And, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys. Next week, we're looking at having somebody on the show to talk football, talk the Jets. So so we'll be back for that. But, uh, Noah, it's been a pleasure, and I can't wait for next week. Absolutely, man. Can't wait for next week. And then just to mention, now that 
the NFL, I mean, it looks like we're coming back. All other sports leagues are coming back. It's a good sign. So we're going to be starting up our fantasy rankings here. We didn't want to get into it too early in the offseason, but now that we're approaching here, we're going to start to get into our fantasy football rankings coming up here in the next couple of weeks.